Hello everyone and welcome to the Chica Travel Podcast. My name is Lelo B. It has been so long since I said hey to you all. I hope you are keeping well, safe, still sanitizing, still wearing your mask, still, still social distancing. And I hope you are as excited as I am about the fact that we can now travel throughout our provinces in Mzansi. Excitement, excitement. It feels like Christmas. So this week on the show, I am talking to Sisan Jona, who is the CEO of SA Tourism. And I want to say thank you so, so much to all of you who sent through your questions for this particular conversation. And I really hope I did them justice um, as you listen through. So I'm curious, guys, to hear from you. The provincial borders are open. So Liagai, Libomang, Nining. I want to go like everywhere, but my problem right now is that I'm having trouble deciding where to go first. So if you have suggestions of places in SA you think I should explore, please let me know and get in touch with me on Twitter or Instagram at Chica Travel Pod and at Chica Travel Podcast. Uh, I'm also looking forward to hearing your feedback on my conversation with Sisa. So if you are listening on apple Podcasts, please kindly rate the podcast and if you do have a minute to spare i would appreciate if you also left a review uh those reviews are super super important for helping uh you know me get more people to discover a chica travel podcast so thank you so much in advance so finally here is my interview with sisa and i hope you will enjoy it Welcome to the Chica Travel Podcast. Hi, Lelo. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's, it's been a crazy, crazy time for, for you guys, uh, for the whole industry, I guess. So how, how are you feeling today? We're now on level two. Things are starting to move, you know, towards the positive side. How are you feeling? So, you know, before lockdown, I'd like to tell people I had an afro. Look at me now, I've got no hair, essentially. <laughs> you know, yeah, look, um, it's, it's amazing when you look back at the last five months to kind of have a sense of where we're at. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into in lockdown level five. Mm. And we're literally trying to find our way through all of this. Uh, I think now we've got a lot more knowledge, a lot more data points. And, uh, you know, the first part of the sector opening up under level five has really given us some great momentum to start off with. And domestic tourism for the foreseeable future is where our bread and butter is going to be coming from. Okay, we'll, we'll talk a bit about that. I just want to get, before we get started onto the serious business, I wanted to just ask you a bit about your personal relationship with travel. Um, do you like travel? Or you, yeah, do you like travel? Oh, wow. you're, just I'm, uh, you're just getting paid. You're just here to make money. <laughs> <laughs> no, Lela, look, I mean, you know, my background is not obviously from the tourism side. Uh, I'm an accountant, became a banker, etc. But I'm a travel freak, a big, big travel freak. So, so yes, some of my credentials, by the way. Uh, out of the 54 countries in Africa, mm-hmm. there's probably about 10 I've not been to. So I've been to the majority of them. Wow. And uh, right across the board. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, even my banking days, I travel quite a bit on the continent as well. And I always have a joke that if you look at my household, the expenditure line items, the first one is education, kids and everything else. Yeah. Next one is travel. We spend wow. a whole lot of money on travel, we invest in it. Um, and then when our son was born, was born in October, right? I still remember that in the December of that year, we went on some trip to Kenya or something. Right. And not staying put, you know, so uh, we love traveling. Yeah, my family loves traveling. I essentially love traveling. And uh, yeah, it's, so it's uh, this job that I have really brings together a lot of my passion. I, I can imagine. It sounds like a cool job. We're looking at how excitedly you do it. <laughs> so, okay. So, um, sister, I just wanted to, um, just for, for you to please just paint a, paint a picture for us. Essay tourism, there's a lot of, misunderstanding i guess if you were to talk about what is the structure talk about what what, what is the structure like because there's there's essay tourism and then there's tourism in the provinces and then there's the minister of tourism so just paint a picture of of that structure for us sure so south african tourism is an agency of government we are 100 percent owned by government right 
So we're an agency of the Department of Tourism. Essentially, our job is what we call destination marketing organization. Our job is to get as many South Africans to travel within the country and also equally to get many um, you know, international people to come to the country. Yeah. Now, um, government is uh, follows what we call a three-tier system. You get national government, provincial government, and local government. So we sit in the national government sphere. Now, in each province, you get what we call a provincial tourism authority, you know, in one form or the other. Mm-hmm. Now, these tourism authorities actually don't report to us. They report into an MEC of tourism and economic development and ultimately the premier, right? Mm-hmm. Similarly, at local government level, you would get a local tourism authority like Joburg Tourism or Tswane Tourism or even City of Cape Town as an example. Those as well don't report to the province. They don't report to the national. They report into an MMC and ultimately the mayor. And I know it sounds a bit upset, but it's just how the architecture of our system of governance is in the country and how it's actually disseminated across the board there. Now, as I said, our focus is to uh, get South Africans traveling. So we work a lot with the provincial tourism authorities in terms of alignment uh, to get domestic to happen, essentially. And uh, internationally, we have nine offices around the world. And their primary task is to make sure that South Africa is positioned as an ideal destination for people to actually come and visit and consider in their travel destinations. So I'm saying part of the challenges then um, that we have with South African tourism, we essentially profile and market something that we don't deliver ourselves. Tourism is delivered through the private sector. They set the pricing, they set the value proposition and, and, and. And it really imposes then on us to work as closely as possible with the private sector to make sure that uh, the promises we make you know, to the world are actually delivered by them. Mm, okay, so I think just hearing you know what you were saying about how the, the the tourism in the provinces and in the in the in the in the in the cities and so on and the, where the reporting lines are, it explains a lot. Uh, there's a lot of misalignment. There's I think it also talks a lot to uh, an issue that I was asking earlier to say where is I'm from the free state. Where is free state tourism? I don't see who are they talking to. I don't see them anyway. So so they literally each province is then responsible for their for their own marketing and, and promotion of the province. So um, we compiled a tourism recovery plan that really is about how do we position ourselves the country to get back uh, you know to previous level of activity as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. One of the elements that we touched on in the recommendation is to really look at what we call the infrastructure side of tourism, the relationships between national, provincial, and even local. It, it, is, it is there, but it's not ideal. And at times, there's an overlap or misunderstanding of who does what and how it all aligns together. So, so it is certainly a big, big, big element that we're asking government to actually address and look at so that we can have a synchronized and a smoother, rather, uh, type of value proposition in terms of being a tourism authority. So it's something we are looking at as well. Yeah. So, okay, I'm going to just, just uh, I wanted us to talk about just the COVID impact on, on the industry. But before we get to that, um, do you maybe just want to give us some high-level insights in terms of, you know, tourists? I had you at the Gibbs um, event where you were, you were talking about um, tourism. And just the, the high-level insights in terms, in terms of 2019 arrivals, where do our visitors come from typically? And, uh, yeah. Okay. So the tourism world, if I can call it that globally, is a very exciting space. It's one of the very few sectors that have been growing on an annual basis, at a 4, 5, 6% generally. There were 1.5 billion international arrivals in 2019, right? 1.5 billion. Billion, absolutely, right? And, uh, and, and, And if you look at the market share of Africa as a continent on that, it's about 5%. So there's a lot of headroom that we have, I think, as a continent to get a fair shake of that uh, global uh, tourism activity there. And South Africa received 10.5 million international arrivals in 2019. Uh, About 75% of that comes from the continent itself. And then that makes sense. 
just from proximity side, what we call the land borders, people driving through, short flights, it becomes something quite easy to do as well. Now we track the arrivals, but equally the whole point of tourism for everyone around the world is that we consider it as trade. We bring in tourists to the country so they can spend as much money as they can in the country in order to show up our GDP, essentially. That's what every country is trying to do over there. So once the volume comes from the continent, the value side comes from outside of the continent. You know? So as an example, Europe, Europe form about 15% of our rivals, but there's something like 73% of the spend. Wow. So put it that way, right? Sure. So uh, it's about balancing of portfolios, essentially, there uh, in that perspective. So, so when we look at the universe in terms of how we're going to win, we look at the entire world and we start to be very deliberate at which markets do we look at, how much do they spend on average, and how do we want to get them in. Uh, a fun fact, if I can throw that in, mm-hmm. is that um, Angolans are the biggest spenders per capita in South Africa at the moment. They shop, they, they, they spend proper there, you know, so they're a bit low in volume, so, but they spend, you know, uh, it's quite good. You know, that's our number one spenders uh, and, international in the country. And Nigerians, because we have an interesting relationship with Nigeria. Yeah, Nigerians are also in the top 15, but not as high as the Angolans as well. I think it starts off with, um, with uh, say the Angolans and I think it's the East, the Chinese as well, and then the Euro- Europeans. The Americans also feature quite highly there because they are also into the big ticket items such as hunting, etc. In that regard. Okay, very interesting. So, so now COVID happened. I mean, I'm sure we had big plans, you know, for for for, for South Africa, and then COVID happened. What has been the impact so far? What do we know so far in terms of the impact to the industry? The impact is huge. You know. Um, you know in the first months of COVID globally, 90% of global airlines were grounded. So there was just no connectivity. And when faced with the pandemic, everyone just closes ranks and looks after themselves, which is a natural thing to do. And South Africa was no different, you know, from the perspective there. Um, the first casualties within, uh, uh, you know, as a result of COVID within the tourism space, even before we went on lockdown on 26th of March, was our my sector, the conferencing, the exhibitions, and everything else there. Uh, to give you a bit of an example, through our ICCs, at any given point in time, we can have 10, 15,000 international delegates converging down on the Cape Town ICC mm-hmm. four or five days, as an example. You can imagine what that does for the airlines to get people in, mm-hmm. for the hotels that are booked, for the shuttles, for the curios, for the catering, the entire ecosystem. Now you cancel one conference, and all of that is gone. And suddenly all those sport bookings vanished. And we saw that coming in droves uh, at the latter part of February and in March as well. So those are the first indications that things are quite serious. And that we never understood it. You know, we thought it was a China problem. And, uh, you know, it's going to happen around East Asia. It's going to go away. We'll continue as normal until it really hit us. Then on uh, 26th of March, we went into hard lockdown, level five. And uh, essentially, only the essential services were allowed to operate. And tourism was not one of those. So we had the entire sector closed down and everything came to a halt. You know, I still remember the, after the president announced uh, that we're going down to lockdown level five, uh, we're closing our borders. We had to scramble to get foreigners, tourists in the country out. Mm-hmm. There were just not enough flights. They were taking people out of the country. Uh, a, uh, Chand was identifying who's who and who's where in the country, right? So as an example, how many British tourists did we have and where are they dispersed in the country and how do we get them out as quickly as possible? We had to interact with the embassies and all of that to kind of get people out of the country, uh, you know, and that there was a very different time then. Um, and then for the very first time, SA Tourism had to change its messaging from telling people to come to the country, but to actually tell people to stay at home, mm-hmm. right? That was very difficult for us because it's not what we do, but we had to tell you and everyone else, stay at home uh, with the view that when the time is right, we'll travel again. Well, the time is getting right right now. So we are getting more and more excited. <laughs> I know there's, um, 
there's lots of noise in 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 the industry currently about you know uh, open the borders so, so we can get our international visitors because that's where you make money. I mean, based on what you, you were just saying earlier on. Um, and I mean, talking of the recovery plan, we just reopened now, you know, interprovincial travel so we can now go to other places in the country. Uh, when, when do we expect um, the borders to open for, for international guys? If I had a penny for every time someone asked me that uh, question, that would be... A... <laughs> you want to leave? You want to leave? I know. <laughs> well, I don't want to bore you and your viewers too much on, on, on statistics, but to give you a bit of a sense, the sector generates uh, about 290 billion rands a year towards our GDP, right? It's about close to about 300 billion rands, right? And that's about 8% of our GDP as a country at the moment. Now, domestic tourism, is 55% of that. Really? Right? 55, yes. So half essentially is domestic tourism and half is international. So we tend to underestimate the domestic market, but it is quite significant. It almost hovers beneath the surface and we don't see it. I have to ask, because yeah. I really thought when, you know, there's a lot of discussion, I'm sure you've, you've picked up on it as well, currently about how uh, tourism in South Africa is so expensive for the normal South African, for the average South African. So I, I, I really am shocked to hear that we contribute 50, 55%. Absolutely. So remember, you've got 10.5 million international visitors. Yeah. You have in excess about 40 million South Africans traveling every year. So what they lack in the value, they've got enough volume. So the fewer um, uh, international ah. arrive, they spend a higher ticket. Right, yes. and then the South Africans, we've got the volume, but we spend lower tickets. So that's okay. how the mix that's is actually going volume. through from yeah. that perspective there. And um, and I think what we are saying basically, we we are close to about three hundred billion rands there. Now, a it is to say that domestic is important, you know, and I'm always trying to educate the sector. Mm. Actually, start to pivot yourselves around these opportunities. Mm. Secondly, as well now is we've got to be careful as to how we time this. Here's what I mean by that one, is that if we open up our borders too early, we may be disappointed with what may happen. And by that I mean right now, South Africa is in the top five of number infections globally, right? And what that basically happens then is that you will, and so you in South Africa, we will be on the travel advisories of many countries around the world, right? Essentially meaning, they will be discouraging their people to travel to South Africa because we'll be seen as a risk. We are top five in the world. We right? also won't be similarly, they are countries. <laughs> similarly as well is that South Africans will probably not be welcomed in those international markets because you'll be seen as a risk. You come from a, a hotspot of the world into their markets as well. So it becomes important that we could open up the borders tomorrow, but you don't want to see an influx coming in. The focus, therefore, has to be about how we get South Africa out of that top five into number 35 or number 38 in the world, if I can call it that. Once we have that in place, opening up the borders becomes a lot more strategic and a bit more aligned as well from that perspective. And that's the balance that I try to give people all the time. But of course, I could be wrong. That's just my take of where we sit. Now, international borders open up when we get to level one. When we get to level one is when the president says so. When the president says so is... <laughs> no, Asaz, it could be... <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Yeah. You could come tonight, you could come in a month's time, you can come in three weeks' time, or whatever it is, right? But I just want us to be aware uh, of the risks that are inherent on it. As long as we're in the top five, the president can come on TV tonight and saying we're locked level one, the borders are open. I think our visas may be rejected, mm. right, by the world, mm. because they look at us and see us as a risk. What's basically happening in the background at the moment is that every country is looking at every other country and classifying them either into red, yellow, or green. We are doing the same, by the way, right, as a country, because remember, we went into lockdown to protect ourselves, yes. to protect our citizens, opening up we have to be cognizant about who are you what danger do you potentially impose on us and how do i protect south africans there? we've got to get out of being red at the moment into the yellow and at least green 
Sure. Okay, that, that makes perfect sense to me. And I, I guess it's, that's another angle that we don't really think about. So it's where are we, you know, we like ranked as a hot awesome. So So please, I always say to people, at level two, you're allowed to travel anywhere and go everywhere. But please, please, please be cognizant. We are still in lockdown level. And what we don't want is those numbers to spike. Because when those numbers spike, we won't be able to go anywhere. So, okay, noted. We, 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 we shall try and do our best because we do want to get out of that top five, you know. So, yeah. this is just now the, the tourism industry, uh, you know, your counterparts there, your, your, the industry, the private sector that you speak to, uh, that you say you market SA2, and then they are the ones that provide the, you know, the service and experiences and so on. Now they are stuck with us. Ooh, president has not opened the, the borders yet. But we still feel like these guys are not catering to us as, as South Africans. I mean, I, I, I have a good job. Like, I can afford to pay for this and that. But even me, I'm like, I corner. These prices do not make sense. So do you guys have conversations about this? And, and especially now, because we, it's not business as usual. So I don't think they should be coming back and, and still, you know, putting up their normal prices for us. Yes, there's specials here and there, but I, I really feel like they are not really catering to us. They're not considering who we are. And, you know, that there's been a, 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 a lockdown and the impact, you know, on people losing jobs and, and so on. So it's kind of like it's still business as usual. This is our price for accommodation for two nights. This is our price for a hot air balloon and so on. And I really can't, we can't afford these, these experiences, these places that we want to, that we want to see in South Africa. So do you guys have conversations about this? Is there, do you guys have any influence into, you know, them catering to us because we don't know how long the borders are gonna open, are gonna well are gonna be closed for so they might as well unless they want to close close their businesses and only open them when Cyril says it's level one I don't know sure sure so I I I, I fully agree with your sentiment as well to answer your question are the conversations happening yes there are secondly as well is that we are going to be having very public ones going forward as well where I'm going to be setting up a couple of webinars so that we can have conversations, both from a sector side and also those that are participating in it in terms of finding the right kind of approach to it. Now, even before COVID, let's understand how the sector was structured. Um, we are a, a free market environment, meaning Lelo can go set up any business she wants as long as it meets the minimum requirements to be registered. She can charge whatever price she wants and deems fit. So what basically has happened is that many organizations or tourism players have really identified whom their core markets are, right? Some have said, I'm purely international. Some have said, I'm a hybrid of international and local. And some have said, I'm domestic, basically. Mm -hmm. But that was the environment before COVID. Mm -hmm. What COVID has done, it has pressed the reset button. There is no price benchmark, essentially, right? And that now needs to recalibrate and find that equilibrium between the supply side and the demand side, right? Now, where we are at is that anecdotally speaking to some businesses out there, the first question they ask is when does international borders open? So that they can reverse engineer their approach and their strategy as to how to kind of set themselves up. Mm. If they fundamentally believe that international will be opening up within the next week or so, they probably will hold back and says, I'll wait for a week until international opens. Mm -hmm. If they fundamentally believe that, geez, international is still some far down the line, I now have to, uh, the big word that everyone uses, pivot and reorganize myself in order to face the local environment. Even before COVID, when I had to speak to some of the industry to say to them, listen, why don't you then, during your off-peak period, right, market to South Africans and have value proposition They talk to them. Mm. Look, again, some attitudes were, no, nope, in off-peak season, I'd rather do maintenance, right, than actually drop my prices because I make enough margin during the peak season in order to do the maintenance in the off-peak season. That is their own volition. That is their own decision. Now what we are trying to do is to saying, let's re-educate the environment to saying, for the foreseeable future, there is no revenue going to be coming from external. We have to look after ourselves. Yeah. How then do we start to relook really at the price? And again, 
I, I don't like to look at pricing alone. I like to look at value proposition, right? Because what you may need to do then is that look at your offering. Uh, maybe Lelo doesn't want four or three, four course meals a day. That typically the international market comes in and all the glitz and everything else there. She just wants breakfast and maybe dinner and then she'll sort herself up during the day. So therefore take some of those. And I'm not saying dumb it down. I'm just saying make it appropriate and relevant for the target audience that is there. Our contribution, as I say, tourism is to influence them. And how you influence the market is about the information and data that you share. When you start to share data that says 55% of the revenue generated isn't domestic, when you start to share insights about what the typical traveler profile looks like, you know, of South Africans, then you start to kind of give them a sense. There is definite opportunity right now for all of those upper LSMs who would typically be going on overseas on holiday. How do we capture them to actually holiday intently? And suddenly those places that we're seeing out of reach become, you know, a bit more palatable over there. And that's the education that we're doing around the repricing, the opportunity that's there, and how we segment South Africa so that we understand who's who and how to actually profile and, 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 and do it domestically as well. Yeah, and I guess also even looking at the option of, you know, different pricing for, for, for South Africans. I don't know if, if that's even something that they want to consider. Yeah, look, I, I, I've been asked many times, what's my view around you know, differential pricing? Mm. Um, I think it had its time during the 80s and the 90s, if I can call it that. Oh, but I'm one more that is in the dynamic pricing space, right? So therefore, how do I provide as much information as possible to you, Lela, so that you can make the right decision. That you know, if I go during peak time, this is gonna cost me 10,000 bucks a night, but during off peak time, it's gonna cost me 1,500 bucks a night, so that you make informed decision. In a similar way, like an Uber works, a surcharge during peak and off peak, I think there's an opportunity there to have a bit more transparent type of uh, pricing, so you can see uh, what time is the best time to choose to go to. So even simple thing like a, a cable car you know, on Table Mountain, right? Yeah. If I go there on Saturday afternoon, right, peak time, yeah. it's going to cost me X hundreds of bucks. Yeah. But if I go on a Wednesday uh, during lunch hour, it's going to cost me a tenth of the price. So that ultimately you can make an informed decision as to what works best for you. As opposed to saying that, you know what, South Africans will live this price and uh, international this price. And the danger of that, imagine then becoming an operator, you operate the cable car at Table Mountain as an example, right? Then there's two queues. Which queue do you start off with, right? And you're a profit maximizer. Mm. You're going to go, okay, South Africans, wait for a second. Let's wait for all the internationals to pay 10 times the price to fill in first. And then whatever's left, I'll give to you guys. And then I think you just want to do it a bit differently from there. That says, let's have information available that you can choose the time that actually works best for you. Yeah, I, I really feel like, you know, the conversation needs to be had, you know, if, if you, you know, what you said earlier about, you know, you know, kind of coordinating the conversation to happen with us as, you know, the consumers of this travel uh, tourism product and, and, and the sector itself. Because honestly, we want to experience our beautiful, beautiful country. But there's just something really painful about me spending 30000 on a trip to Cape Town when that can take me to, you know, you know, I, I always look at where can I fly to with, with this <laughs> with this amount. So, yeah, I hope those... We can't go to Bali for this year. Because they've said they'll only open up next year. Yeah, so then... So, let us start there. <laughs> Namibia is open. <laughs> okay. So, so, so Sisa, we're going into tourism month. And, yes, there's this challenge of these things are not accessible to us, you know, money-wise. What is your message... To, to, to South Africans, because you would be obviously encouraging and promoting, you know, people experiencing um, the, 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 the country. What, what would you be saying to us in this, in, this, in this coming month? Sure. So Tourism Month is essentially uh, September from next week. And, uh, you know, we are very pleased that we had lockdown level two just in time for that. Right. I think it was planned. And 
<laughs> so essentially, we are trying as much as possible to build momentum towards that, right? We really want to make Tourism Month not just a, a ceremonial type of thing, but really an impactful one. A, as much as when you look at tourism from a consumer perspective, you think beach and holidays and all that nice stuff, we are actually wanting to invite many people to be part of tourism, right? We want South Africans to see themselves playing a role within the tourism space as their job, as their business, and, and, and. There's a lot of money to be made in the space. So we're inviting entrepreneurs to come in. Similarly as well, we're also inviting disruptors. Technology and digitalization will play a big role in this. And if you look at the last five years of any significant disruption happening in the tourism space, it has not come from inside. It has come from actually outside uh, that comes and disrupts the space. So I think there is the opportunity there. Thirdly as well is that as we go into tourism month, we want to come on the, out on the other side um, of COVID, on the recovery side, in a different format than we, what we went in previously, right? We always had these hotspots in the country, what are called the Cape, bit of Garden Route, KZN, and then Kruger. And then as if there's nothing else in the middle. We want to make sure that we bring out as much of South Africa as possible, all the nine provinces that we've been blessed with, because each one offers something different, offers something unique as well. Immersion becomes quite important. We live in an environment now of social distancing. So suddenly now rural becomes you know, uh, attractive, bush becomes attractive, where social distancing and, and relative safety can kind of be ensued. So we want to invite people to come in so that we can travel our country in its entirety. You know, the Northern Cape gets the least amount of visitors, right, domestically. We want to make sure that we can ramp that up quite significantly. So I look to the people who live in Northern Cape and say, how do you want to tell your story? How do you want to put packages together? As I say, tourism, we will uh, post them on our platforms so that Lelo can come and search and see over there, you know, in terms of considering the Northern Cape as their next destination, you know, in terms of their travel. Mm. So, so on, on the point that you were making earlier, Sisa, about, you know, inviting, you were saying that there's a lot of money to be made in, in tourism and so on. I actually had a question from one of my listeners, and can I just read it for you? It's a, it's a bit lengthy. Sure. There's a comment and, and I guess a question uh, for you at the end. So she said, there's a lack of political consciousness in who gets to sell their ideas and benefit from SA tourism budgets. Do you have a transformation agenda? In other words, when will black people with ideas be allowed to compete for tenders? At the moment, saying it, it must be agency work exclusively means I cannot pitch, but a white-owned agency can invite me to their meeting and rope me in when pitching. Like everything else, money in is racialized in South Africa. I will be underpaid by an agency that has approached to pitch by SA Tourism. Uh, and and well, she also said SA Tourism is enabling this climate by who and what it will work with when there is millions, when there are millions involved. And then she says, black people are not mere content creators. Um, SA Tourism needs to account for the huge distance between uh, their words and their actions. I, for one, know that this gap has existed for years. And uh, when will SA Tourism walk the talk? That's kind of deep one. Cool. <laughs> Thanks for the question. You know, so, so let me just take one step back. What your, your, your listener viewer just kind of um, um, highlighted there, it's not an SA Tourism problem. It's a marketing industry problem. So let's look at the marketing fraternity itself. Who's there? What kind of businesses are there? Who the big ones are? And how transformed those are? Because remember, whatever it is that industry looks like becomes what comes through the door. And it's not whether it's SA Tourism or Unilever or whoever it is, essentially, becomes a receptor of the frame of the structure of that industry as well. So the work for me needs to start at the marketing agency or industry itself in terms of how it actually comes together. Secondly, that's not to say then that clients such as SA Tourism have no role to play. We've got a very big role to play because essentially, because we are the ones that are paying, 
we can influence certain things as to how they form and shape basically mm. from that perspective. Now, let me give you a bit of a sense, some of the things that we're looking to there is number one, how do we make sure that we are able to listen to as many voices as possible, right? Whilst being structured. Because I'll tell you something is that we could appoint tomorrow 20 black-owned firms, right? There'll be 100 black-owned firms that didn't get the job. They will complain about the 20 black-owned firms that say we've got a job basically on that side. Now, what COVID has done, it's given us an opportunity to press the reset button. We are re-looking at that space in its entirety to say then, how do we position ourselves as SA Tourism in order to be able to get these brilliant ideas that are starting to come through in order for us to get our numbers that we kind of need to get to? That's the space that we are looking around in terms of making sure that we can crowd in as many voices as possible that give foot forward as SA Tourism. Keeping into account a couple of things. One is that a huge element of our investment goes overseas into those markets. Because in those markets, call it the UK as an example, even Australia, we are competing with the best of the best destinations around the world. We have to convince tourists in Australia why they should come to South Africa as opposed to Jamaica or even Kenya or any other destination. That becomes important. And therefore, we need someone with a clear understanding of how we should show up in Australia. That is very different, by the way, to our China office. That is fundamentally different to our Germany office or even South America. So that's the appreciation basically on that side. It's a very complex but very simple business that ultimately we have to win in those markets so that we can get tourists in. Similarly as well, domestically within South Africa, how then do we start to position ourselves to being appropriate so that we can reach the audience that we need to reach in the most, how can I say, um, effective manner out there. Mm -hmm. And that's what we are making or scratching our heads around. Now, I am approached a lot of the times by really, really brilliant people with great ideas and say, listen, Cesar, I've got a brilliant idea and you do X, Y, and Z. And I'm often stuck, right, with A, how do we give this opportunity to hear this idea? At the same time, living in a public finance management act environment, the last thing I, want, I don't want is for SA Tourism to be in the league of some of those public sector companies that actually infringe procurement policies and, 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 right? Because essentially it says at the base of it, when you are now engaging with X, Y, and Z for services, you must have gone through a process of actually opening it up and saying, I've got a problem, someone needs to respond. Now, the problem is with unsolicited bits, meaning basically you came up with an idea and thought of it and not because you're responding to something, that's where the gap lies in. And we're trying to plug that gap. We don't quite yet have a solution, Nello, but it's something that is really taking up a lot of my time and my team's time in terms of thinking. How do we become an open repository for great ideas that land at SA Tourism that actually infuse everyone in? And that's what we try to try and address too. Yeah, because there's a lot of there's a lot of good ideas um out there as well. So when you when you were saying that you would be inviting you know people to take part and get involved in tourism, um what does what does that look like? I mean, what is how do how do you invite you know people who are keen to take part in this industry? How does that how does that work? I mean, um yeah, I think just practically, <laughs> how does that work? So twofold, right? So you have South African tourism that has a budget that engages in market activities, as an example, right? And you can look at that and say, hmm, I want you to become part of the agencies of South African tourism and be part of the value green stream. What I was talking about inviting people in, I'm talking about about the 300 billion rands that are sitting on this side. That is not SA tourism money, but it's industry money. That is consumer money out there. You don't need permission from SA tourism to participate in this one. It is all about what value proposition are you putting together that's going to excite a whole lot of consumers that they buy directly from you. There are no tenders, there's no nothing. It's about the competition of ideas. That's what it's about. And when I'm saying I'm inviting people in, is I'm inviting them into this bigger pot of 300 billion rands come inside. Now it's about how then do we use our platforms as a tourism as an aggregator so that I can make 
a certain rural area visible, you know, uh, to the potential consumer that would not be visible, as an example. So how do I get that small one that has zero marketing budget, that has zero investment in that space, but if I carry them on the SA Tourism platform, suddenly when Lelo comes and visits there, I'll say, oh, okay, I didn't know there was this big, small, quaint kind of establishment. I'd love to go visit over there. That's basically what I want. And I want us to be obsessed about the opportunities of that 300 billion rands. Not to say that Tourism doesn't have a budget, but our budget is tiny, less than a billion rands relative to this 300 billion rands. And again, to me, ultimately the day, what will make you succeed or not succeed is about the relevance. It's about the strength of that value proposition. You know, is it kick ass that you put something together that everyone wants to buy tomorrow? That to me is where the opportunity lies. I mean, you know, township tourism is an example. We need more than one Vilakasi Street. We need a, a couple of them all over the show, you know? And then that's what I keep on saying to the provinces. They said, listen, in each province, there must be a Vilakasi Street equivalent, as an example, created. We will bring the demand or create the demand that brings people into those spaces. That's the story that needs to be told. And again, you don't need permission from SA Tourism or any official government. You don't need a tender for that. You yeah. just need a value proposition that you can put out there. Yeah, I guess this also touches on one of the a comment that I also got from, from one of my listeners who was saying that they feel there's so much more to SA than what is being promoted. You know, that, that there's a need for more authentic, you know, and cultural experiences. And I guess that also t- touches on, on the community-based tourism that, that you guys also talk about. Absolutely. Um, a big realization that, that the lockdown has given us an opportunity, again, just to say, to press a reset button and rethink our strategies as to how are we going to tell the South African story and how is it going to be told. And you will see a different, essentially, from there, a lot more around user-generated content. Right? It is not about us saying we want to do X, Y, and Z. It's about listening in as to what do South Africans want to say about their places to other South Africans. What we will do is to provide the dance floor for these conversations to happen. So that again, you know, if we are profiling a specific region, a specific province, or a specific town, it is about the voices of the town that speak, that actually puts it together, as opposed to, you know, CISA and his colleagues deciding we will profile this town like X, Y, and Z. It's user-generated content. I think that's to me, is the exciting part. Because we want to talk about authenticity, we want to talk about immersion and about voices, user-generated is the way to go. Yeah, I feel like we need a conversation with the provinces, man, because <laughs> they are sleeping. <laughs> yeah, so, 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 so... Yeah, they are sleeping. Look, those, Do you mean, yeah, Those are sleeping. my colleagues, and, 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 and the conversations I have with them, by the way, is, is to say, well, let's work smarter together. Mm. You sort out the supply side, and I sort out the demand side, mm. right? Meaning you don't necessarily need to do campaigns and driving uh, the demand side. Yeah. We will do that from our side. You just need to make sure that there are enough attractions, enough activities, there's enough beds in your province. If we, if we single out the free state as an example, what's there to do in the free state? Be obsessed about putting that together, right? And about having enough museums, uh, your roads work as an example, the water there, electricity, right? And then hold us accountable to drive then the requisite numbers and demand into us that side. And I think that's the, the happy place that we're trying to find with them at the moment. Yeah. Okay. So my other question is, is just about what, what can a, just an ordinary South African do to help, you know, uh, with, with promoting uh, South Africa? Because uh, we want, you know, that you said it's 8% contribution to our GDP. We want it up there to maybe 15, <laughs> if possible, ever. But what can a normal, like, ordinary South African do to help? You know, my, my dream and wish, Lelo, is for each and every single South African to see themselves as a tourism ambassador. You don't necessarily need to work within tourism, but, you know, um, just being a South African. It's about understanding that when tourism does well, the economy does well. When the economy does well, we all do well. By that, I mean a couple of things. One is that it, it needs to touch our patriotism, right? About where we come from, about who we are. And starting basically with where we grew up in, right? How do you become the biggest uh, marketer of where you grew up in? You know, and the activities and everything else around there. 
I would also love for everyone to be part of a, a progression process. So before you go to Bali or you go to Thailand, whatever international destination, how do I get you to know your country intimately? So that when you are there in Bali, you interact with an Australian, an American or a German, and they say, hey, Lilo, where are you from? Say, no, I'm from South Africa. Hey, tell me about South Africa. You know, you must have the content to be able to say, I come from a beautiful country. You can do X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, and become that ambassador. It will be very embarrassing to be overseas and someone asks you about your country and you go, um, 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 I don't know. It is Similarly as well. now, sister. It's happening now. And because people, we, we like, um, I've got 20,000. I might as well just take this 20,000 and go to Bali seven days, everything, rather than spend that 20,000 on accommodation in, in, in the Western Cape. So it is happening now and it's really, really embarrassing. So I guess it, talks, it just takes, a, takes us back to that. I don't know if it's about access, but it's really just about there's something painful about paying the same amount of money. I know, I know. And again, it, 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 it is this information asymmetry I speak about that we kind of need to avail this information so that informed decision can be made. You know, like an example, the first week of December is probably the best value you can for Cape Town visitors, an example, can get where, you know, a lot of things are discounted. But if the market doesn't know that, then they're not informed about making those decisions, mm. right? Part of the problem that we have, you know, is that we all want to go on holiday at the same time, to the same space, to the same places, as an example, right? So here, let me give an example. Uh, school calendar, the school closed at the same time, right? So we all want to go on holiday at the same time. Mm. And uh, you can imagine then what happens then to the price inflation of that bed or hotel room in Cape Town, when we all kind of converge at the same time, add in our international tourists also competing with the same bed, it becomes a bit haywire. How then do we start to spread this activity across all of South Africa? And I think that's the big work that we're trying to do so that, again, we are all well-versed and well-educated in our country as well. I mean, when I grew up, essentially, uh, which was not so long ago, uh, <laughs> we, had, uh, we, had, we had school trips, you know, to go to the zoo you know, to go to the museum. Is that still happening at primary level, as an example, to get all those outings and everything else, you know, in those over, well, those were overcrowded buses in those days and everything else. And you inculcate the curiosity of travel very early on. And we want to make sure that that starts to, starts to grow. Then lastly as well, I love observing, and this is about patriotism, right? I like observing people. So when I get into an airplane, I get to a destination. You will see Americans wearing their flag, wearing their cap. You'll see Austrians wearing an Austrian babla, right? Are we as equally patriotic South Africans to wear our South African regalia, right? Or do we all wear NY caps, right? That are six and everything else, you know, over there. Do we all wear Man United tops and everything else there as well? So. I ask myself, how do we carry ourselves as South Africans? Are we, are we proud, by the way, to be identified as South Africans in our overseas travel, right? That goes beyond just tourism. It just goes about our identity. Are we proud of our country? Are we patriotic of our country? Do we value our, our, our designers as it were? You know, and then what do we wear? How do we show up to the world? Yeah. Or do we show up uh, wearing... Gushis. I hope Gushis from Italy. I, like, okay. trust, me, trust me, we represent. When we travel, we represent. Don't worry. Okay. okay. <laughs> Don't worry. I think then. So, so, I mean, I started with my own family and I look at them like, hey, take that NY cap off. Take that top off, right? You, you know, put on a, a local cap. And maybe yeah. part of, and, and, and by the way, they always come back to me and say, ah, but daddy, it's, 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 not, um, it's not cool. And maybe then that's an indictment on the fashion industry in South Africa. How then we start to produce cool stuff that is accessible for the South African market that can be readily worn, that identifies us proudly as South Africans as we travel around the world. Because when you put that on, you become almost an information beacon for everyone that wants to know about South Africa, whether it's a destination, our politics, or anything else, that becomes key. Yeah. So 
Awesome, um, sister. So just one, two last questions and then we're done. I see time is, is not on our side. So obviously there's a lot of, you know, social media and the impact and the influence of, you know, travel content uh, creators on and Instagram as well. What's, what's your, what is SA Tourism's view on partnering with those? Because uh, I think, I kind of feel like the, the, when, you, when we talk about tourism now reporting into the provinces and I'm, now I start thinking government and I think boring and I'm, and I'm like, these are the people that are in touch with these people travel, they see the country, they see different parts of the country, they know what's hot, what's happening. They they are the ones that you should see the questions that we feel that we get on social media about, I want to go to uh, Northwest, what's there to do? So we get those questions and not just me, but a lot of travel cont- content creators that I follow, they get a lot of those and they are like churning out information. They take it upon themselves to go to these places and share. So how do we get these people um, into this, into, into the, 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 yeah, to talk to, to talk to you guys, how do you guys use them to kind of spread the message? Because a lot of, a lot of people want um, access to, to information. And I think part of the reason why I even started this travel podcast was because I was getting so many questions about, about travel. And I thought, you know, okay, here's one other platform that I could use to kind of help people, but also bearing in mind that a lot of South Africans also don't have access to the internet. So how do we also get uh, inf- information to them? So maybe just start off with the travel content creators and then we can get to the other one. Yeah, I think you are bugging my office, uh, Nelo, because it was only a conversation I was having two days ago, essentially around that side. So, so this, the pivoting that we are doing is to think that South African tourism is the only authority that's able to speak about the industry as well and the activities happening around there. It is now we're moving to a space where we're embracing those that are involved in the sector. I spoke earlier on that our role that we are morphing towards is about providing the platform, providing the dance floor that invites all of these content creators to come in and actually um, you know, um, uh, and have the conversation and have the content within there. Then at the same time, it is calling in the audience, both in South Africa and globally, that you want to find something, come find it over here. So essentially, moving to becoming an aggregator as opposed to uh, an originator mm. of, the, of the information. We want to enable the originator to come from the likes of yourselves, as an example, aggregate them on this platform that the world can come and see and search and look and find. Yeah. Um, we will be uh, also as well to take this forward. We are having a webinar. Uh, I don't know the data is yet when it will be set to invite all the travel content creators in the country. So let's have a conversation. What would you like to see from SA Tourism? Here's what we're thinking. With this work, how then importantly do we monetize this, right? Because we want to move this thing from being a hobby to actually become monetized. Absolutely. You know, so here's what I'm thinking and then roughly what I said to the team, right? So as SA Tourism, we've got this global platform that we can, uh, the dance floor as it were. We invite all the travel content creators to come put this stuff on there and have a conversation on this. At the same time, we invite the world through all of our expensive media platforms, whether it's CNN or whatever it is, to say, you want to find out something about South Africa? Come over here, right? Now then, how do you monetize this? That if someone comes over here and sees something that Lelo has profiled and put together, and there's a nice value proposition, and they click on it and they actually buy it, how then do you earn a revenue from all of the activity that has come as a result of what you put together, as an example, right? So that's where we are thinking in terms of we've got to monetize this so that you can earn some form of revenue for everything that you put together, as opposed to the current model whereby, um, you know, people are getting paid for influencing and you can't quite correlate between the influencing and the results that's come from there. But if everything you do actually have a code on it, and if I go there, see, and I click, and I buy on that code, right? In the same way as an example, you know, you, you, Uber, you can get a code, you put that in, and you know, it's a reference number, whatever it is. It's loosely speaking. It's a similar thing. We're thinking about how we monetize it. Now, what that then does is you actually really democratize the space. It is not then just solely for the influencers who are celebrities, but it can be anybody, right? So even I, as a 
high school kid, whatever it is, if I can put together a kick-ass itinerary that speaks to a certain market segment that everyone buys, I will earn revenue from it, right? And I think that's where we are going with this. And again, I'm preempting my conversation that I'm going to have with all the content creators in the next couple of weeks around this space. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. And I know my, my colleagues in the content creation space will be, will be keen and they will have strong opinions. And one of them will definitely be your use of celebrities that have no impact, that have no interest in travel, yet they are used on travel campaigns. It just baffles us. Um, but anyway, so I'm thankful that you are at least uh, you listening you know, to, to, to what we are saying. And I look forward to those conversations. And hopefully it's not just going to be conversations, but there will be you know, some real actions that will come out of that. Because all we want really is to encourage people. I think we just we do this because we really want people to to travel because we know, uh, you know, you know the experience that you get and how it opens your mind and just every beautiful thing that comes from 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 tourism and travel. So that's why we do this. Absolutely. I mean, look, as I said, the days of having um, formal authorities such as ourselves saying X, Y, and Z and being believable are literally diminishing and gone, essentially, yeah. right? The best voices you want to hear is when you see someone like you, you know, it's much more believable. Uh, if you can relate to the person who's saying it and what they're saying, it's much more believable, right? As opposed to as I said, something that is obscure. Now, again, our pivoting is essentially to become the aggregator, yeah. the dance floor of all of these spaces that come through. And again, it's got to be monetized. Because you want to talk about being sustainable, there's got to be value at the end of it so that you know that you put in extra effort in because essentially there is a machine at the back end that is actually uh, you know, making revenue come. Then we solve the problems of saying, no, but you guys only promote Cape Town, right? Yes. Uh, what about the Northern Cape? What about this? What about that? Yeah. Right? So therefore, telling that story will no longer just be the responsibility of CISA and his colleagues, but will rather come from the bottom up from those that come from those communities and they can put together uh, packages and value propositions. Okay, so I'm, I'm hearing a lot of it's in your hands. You, you don't have to wait for us you, to tell you what to do. You can uh, kind of get involved as well. It's partnership, can. it's yeah. collaboration. We'll yeah. play our part, we'll open up the doors, yeah. we'll create the space, but you've got to walk in and actually hustle your way so that you are able to um, you know, uh, make the requisite uh, revenue that's coming from there. And by the way, so even, even if you are a celebrity, I want to put you in the same space. But right? there must be celebrities who travel, but who travel, not the ones it's that... Okay, I want... Yeah. The celebrity must come in and put a package together that's there. If people buy the celebrity's package, the celebrity will earn the revenue, basically, based yeah. on that. Yeah. Whoever it is. They don't... Anyway, we, we'll have a conversation about this separately. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> but Lisa, yeah. thank you so, so much. I don't know if you have any last thoughts, anything you want to say to my listeners who are female, who love traveling, and who also say they, they're scared of traveling solo in the country because of cramp. But I don't want to bother you with that, with that issue because I think we, I have heard you speak on it before. So any last message? Yeah, absolutely. This, the clear message that South Africa is your country you have the absolute permission to exploit as much as you can. And also as well, it's also about understanding that love for self also starts with basically where we come from and everything else. Each and every single one of us has a story to tell. And we want to make sure that you can tell your story as you are moving around the country, as you are moving around the world as well. And uh, again, we will hold hands, if I can call it that, in terms of making sure that we can shape and shift our country the way it should be, that our offerings are also relevant for us in, in South Africa and also we get a showcase to the world. I mean, I, I really get tired, you know, when, uh, when you speak South Africa and the only association is the animals in Kruger National Park, as an example. We've got so much more than that, yeah. right? Yeah, we've got a fat mountain and some, and some um, animals over there, but there's a whole lot of people. So how do we get that element in? And I'm really wanting to uh, coerce all of you uh, to actually to become part of the tourism industry. Mm -hmm.
we we also want that for us and for for the for for the, for the country so thank you so so much for your time this has been awesome and yes i'm gonna hold you to all these conversations that you said you're gonna be hosting i will remind yeah. you i'll be like hey Puti, when is this happening really appreciate your time Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. We will catch up again next week. But in the meantime, if you listen on Apple, please leave a review and comment. It helps other people find the podcast as well if you do that. So I appreciate that very much. And also you can find us on social media at Chica Travel Pod, hashtag Chica Travel Pod. Until next week, goodbye.